0: I that win the prize? Alexander Cutter underestimates the rich. I was one. <laughs> it's simple, Rich. It's real easy. Your picture was in the paper, remember? Page one. He knew who you were from the first, and not only you, but me, Valerie, and Moe. You think we
1: haven't been watched?
0: He may be scared, but he's smart and powerful. Yeah, he had your baptism papers from the first half hour a list of your friends and every broad you've racked for the past 10 years. You never had to deliver any blackmail letter. All you had to do was go to the court building. So what are you gonna do? <laughs> it's not a question of what I'm gonna do. It's a question of what you're gonna do with the time you got left. They weren't after Mo. they were after you. Hello and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is your host, James Kent, and with me is Bill Muir. Uh, we're getting ready to do part two of Neo-Noir. I uh, Hope you enjoyed part one, and, uh, you know, we're going to get right into the action here. It's, oh, great. You know, one thing that hasn't changed, I hear Bill's rabbit typing away. Dear listener, have you not heard my pleas on episode one? <laughs> I am being held captive in a cage with too many people living in queens <laughs> help me get me
1: out of here love yeah love rabbit Muir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well it's, it's an interesting symbol for us to have in the house a rabbit there you go <laughs> for
0: you <laughs> under the silver lake fans see if you can decode what the rabbit's tapping out <laughs> on as <his> water <laughs> <laughs> and you write your responses to me at uh, feedback at stuffwe've seen.com
1: Isn't that your biggest listenership? <laughs> is under, the, under the Silver Lake, it people?
0: It is. But, the, but there's a reason is because I had put stuff on Reddit all right, at the time. And of course, people are constantly seeing that movie and then they're looking for clues and... And right. perhaps they think that the episode that we taped on it had the answers. And then they listened to probably two minutes of it. It had actually weekend. had a
1: good number of answers, I thought. I thought you guys covered it really well. Uh, yeah,
0: I, it's, it's good. It's a neo-noir for, for yes. those on uh, part 20 that we do yes, later.
1: exactly. We're going to talk about that in about four weeks.
0: <laughs> yes, <or something>. exactly. <laughs> it's okay. This gives me good reasons to talk to you. And since there's really no movies that I'm going to be seeing in the theater anytime soon, this is a great uh, segue. And again, um, I just think there's a lot of interesting films on the Criterion channel um, for people to explore and one of those is our next film that they have and this was a rewatch for me and it's a movie that for years uh, it's just not a, something that's available a lot so I never saw the film. Right. Got to see it a couple of years ago and I enjoyed it uh, but like a lot of these films it's a rewatch that really seals the deal and this is 1975's uh, Arthur. Arthur Penn directed film Night Moves. Yes. Which stars Gene Hackman as a private detective who gets, we find out in this movie, he gets a certain amount of money a day, uh, which is actually good. That's right.
1: That's right. The whole, and his expenses. And he has to negotiate his expenses.
0: Yeah. Um, And you'd think that that would be pretty good, but you can't imagine that these people uh, are like busy five days a week like he could be sitting there for weeks with nothing and as a matter of fact i I think that his wife thinks that because she just feels like he is completely removed from his life and just focuses on being a private detective to take himself away from
1: his own troubles right and that's that's one of the things that's really interesting about this is that you you don't too often get into the the personal life of the detective in a detective movie unless it somehow pays off in the narrative yeah you know that that it somehow he falls in love with the person he's supposed to be going after and that's what's so interesting about this is that think about it what are most detectives you know what are the jobs they mostly do or matrimonial and here his marriage is in a crisis you know throughout the movie
0: well you could call you could call this film right and another well, way you could call it the accidental detective right because this is the funny thing is he's a detective and he is given a case right that yes. he's supposed to solve and he actually solves that case however yes. in solving that case and this is what's fascinating about this film and and it's another i think
1: so a miss a missing person's case a missing person to find yeah. the daughter yeah, right, right, right. but
0: but by 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 solving that case he actually unravels many lives and, yes. and by getting involved and things that he doesn't really understand. This is what the whole idea about night moves, which when I first saw the film, I just watched it kind of straight out. And I remember
1: when did you first say it? How just only a done? couple of years ago. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Like it was either on, it is either on Amazon prime or it had been on like Turner classic movies and I caught it and taped it. And I remember really liking it, but I, I, I was thinking night moves, that's a strange uh, title. I, title. I don't, it yes. doesn't really work for me. And it wasn't until the rewatch that I started to, to get the nuances of this movie. And if you put a K in front of the N, you'd have knight moves, which actually right. is a very important piece of this film was that he chess. plays chess. Chess. And yeah. the idea behind this, and there's a little bit of- I didn't
1: think about that. That's really good. Oh,
0: yeah. No, no. There's a, it's, The whole movie, is it's about, it's about chess moves. And what it is is you can be a really good chess player. And so in this case, he's a, he's a detective, and we, we think that he's supposed to be a pretty good one. However, when you don't see the big picture of the strategy of the mm-hmm. other player is when you lose because you get really drilled down in your own game. And right. that is really what the story is: is that this is a guy who's so drilled down in his own game, and when he even gets involved in a story and he actually starts detecting, he doesn't see the big pieces until it's too late, right. and it's unfortunate that he you know he's unraveling everything, um, and that actually happens with his own wife. His wife invites him to the movies, and it's just French film. And there's actually a thing behind that too. I don't even get into it because I haven't seen the films that it talks about. Um, she mentions one film um, that they're going to see. And he mentions something that like he'd seen before one time and didn't like, and there's actually meaning behind the movie he saw the, and that it kind of plays into his character. And then mm-hmm. He's finished up for the night. He actually decides maybe I'll, I'll I'll catch my wife after the film and we, right. you know maybe hook up with the friends she's supposed to going with, but when he gets there, she's getting out of the film, which is a different title, and she's with somebody that he doesn't recognize. And she gets in his car, and then he sees her, and she kisses the guy and has her arm around him, and suddenly it's like, oh my god, I've just caught my wife having an affair. It, yes. And, and then suddenly his whole mood's changed. And now you're watching it. It's very interesting when he next sees his wife, because you're seeing the dynamic of somebody who has a secret and is pretending like nothing had happened, but as a guy who knows the secret and he's trying to not tell her that he knows the secret. And that's fascinating. Yes, And then of course that affair gets exposed because he's the detective. Like this is, you know, it's so funny is that he's, he unraveled a case in his own life that he didn't realize. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's an interesting thing there. But, like, for some reason, she kind of still wants to be with him and he sort of still wants to be with her, but she wants him to make certain decisions and change his life. Right that's the question is whether this guy can change. And, and then the rest of the story is kind of like what happens to you when you don't change and you go down this path and you inadvertently expose all of these very little intricate plots that are going on in other people's lives. And it kind of leads to a whole bunch of people dying. <laughs> yes. He doesn't, yeah. He doesn't kill anybody, um, but it act, It doesn't. It just,
1: But his, but he, he, his, it's sort of a butterfly effect of his actions end up, you know, creating a chain of um, events that leads to catastrophe. Yeah.
0: And then, of course, you know, there's, look, this is 1975, different time. It's funny, you, you know, in the last episode, we talked just at the end, we, we mentioned uh, Chinatown and we talked about Roman Polanski. And I will just say that if you watch this movie, you realize that uh, certainly from Hollywood standards, they definitely had different ideas in mind about the sexuality of somebody who's maybe 16 years old.
1: <laughs> yes yeah because melanie griffith's character right and she Absolutely. was this
0: is this is the, the 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 thing melanie griffith was 16 years old when she shot this movie she's playing a 16 year old and it's pretty wild seeing melanie griffith who we only knew as an adult when she's 16 yes. and she's yes. playing which is what kind of it is it's creepy is she's playing in, in the scripts a promiscuous Nymphet. Nymphette, teenage LA, spoiled rich kid of celebrity who really wants to have sex with all these men.
1: Yes, and, and the idea in some of her mother's ex-boyfriends.
0: Yeah. And of course, there's she has a stepfather who she's living with, and right. it's a it's never it never fully gets into this whether or not she's had sex with a stepdad. You kind of
1: get that sense <laughs> that yes, definitely she has. <laughs> yeah. And it, it 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 kind of adds to You know, that, um, I mean, let's be honest, one of the tropes of noir is, you know, incestuous kind of relationships, something that kind of comes up, uh, you know, and and the Big Lebowski kind of spoofs that a little bit. Yes,
0: that's the thing is, (laughs) so when I'm watching Night Moves, right, I found a lot in common with several movies, some of which I I found in common because I watched more on this criterion list and I saw a lot of similarities in these sort of Kind of, sh- not a shaggy dog, but they're like hang out There's a lot of hangout stuff going on in Night Moves. And yes. that's the complaint that I've read in the social media. I kind of started at the very beginning of the first episode mentioning this. When I read social media, a lot of people right. mistake, they think neo noir and they somehow think action movie. And they get shocked when there's no action. So you watch a movie- the
1: movie. When the pace, where well, there's a lot of people sitting around thinking.
0: Yeah. So when you see a movie like Night Moves, you might if you go in thinking this is going to be like this very intense mr thriller action movie no 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 i think i think
1: jimmy the first time that you see i didn't have great memories of this movie right
0: because your expectations were like what is this movie i I
1: saw it i saw it on vhs i'm gonna say maybe in like my i think in my teens then i saw it again i think maybe in my like early 20s and i saw it twice and i was like Eh, you're really kind of slow, and I don't feel like there's a lot happening here, and it just didn't, um, the movie, I didn't, I remember I texted you, because you were raving about the film, and I was like, I don't have great memories of it, to be honest, and I watched it, and I have to say, I have a complete reappraisal of the film. I think it's really think it's
0: so amazing.
1: yes, yes. Really, really great. And um Hackman's performance, just like incredibly understated and you know, that kind of weariness that he has and, and brings to it is is really, really strong. A lot of the supporting players beautifully shot, beautifully executed it. I think in the end it's um uh the ending is is absolutely beautiful. I mean horrifying but beautiful. The ending is amazing. I mean, that whole climax, I love it.
0: And uh, you know, I mean Arthur Penn, the director, he he did intentional things. He meant for the cinematography to not be flashy. He right. meant for the pacing to be a certain way. He meant for everything to be under. He had, I think he was going through a divorce in his own time. So he brought in some of his own experiences into the main character and also, he wanted the film to have a very, um, kind of moody reflection on Watergate and what the country was going through. So, so again, these are these cynical times where these filmmakers yes. are making movies that reflect kind of how they feel like America had lost its way. Right. Um and now right. Gene Hackman, correct me wrong, he his character is like an ex-football player, right?
1: Ex-football yeah, player, yeah. so they go to like, you know, a game. Yes. And it's interesting
0: absolutely. is that so his character, right, what do you do when your football career is over? And he became a detective. Right. And so so here's another difference in the neo-noir. He was not a cop who was an ex-cop who became a detective, which is a lot of what those detectives were in noir movies. Mm-hmm. You know, they have like a relationship with the police department because, you know, they they, they would retire. They get their pension and now they're detectives and or right. they were disgraced. And, and either and, either
1: they, they work well with them or they have like a kind of tension because they have history like in Chinatown and stuff.
0: Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, because they may have been disgraced and why they left the force and now they're detectives. And, of course, cops hate detectives because they don't want somebody in, in, intruding on where they're supposed to be doing. Um, and then, of course, you're going to see this later, this idea of. Of the beginning of a character, uh, like who maybe would become a detective, but you have against all odds, uh, which I'm actually Life. just started up. I haven't seen this thing in years when I was a kid, when I was way too young to see it, because it just really didn't gel for me. I just thought it was like, whatever. But Jeff right. Bridges, another, you know, again, Jeff Bridges uh, shows up in several new neo-noirs. He's, he, he's, he that, is,
1: he's actually a very, I would say, an important figure in neo-noir. Yeah,
0: he's this everyman, good-looking guy who gets involved in these mysteries unintentionally. And so that's yes. what he is. He's a football player who had been turns injured. Turns private detective. <laughs> and he turns private detective because he needs the money. And he's also pissed at the powers that be who cut him. Yeah, and who owns
1: so, the, the team.
0: Yeah, and so, you know, and he also doesn't like the guy who is using him wants him to pay him ridiculous amounts of money to just go find somebody. It almost doesn't make any sense why you would do that, but hey, right. um, you know, and so, again, that's in a MacGuffin in itself. You just need an excuse to go down and start the mystery, but here he was an ex-football player now, and so that's the same thing with Gene Hackman, and one of the things I love about this film is that if you ever had a fight with somebody in real life Right. It's never as cool Mm -hmm. as a movie. it never works that way there's not like these awesome sound effects and it's you know it's pretty well choreographed you gotta see the fight scenes in Night Moves to see Gene Hackman like trying to be a tough guy it's hilarious Um, and I'm thinking the scene well there's the climax scene fight right on the beach there which is totally sloppy and then there's the part where like I don't know a stunt double playing Gene Hackman like swings with his feet and kicks a guy over a railing it's just hilarious uh, for some reason but I love it (laughs) um and i also do love the melanie griffiths performance and you know she comes on to his character but like he is he's like righteous enough that he is going to rebuff those and he's actually more interested in the sort of uh wayward uh beach bum traveler that's hanging out down there who's sort of the somewhat girlfriend of melanie griffith's stepdad
1: or like you know just kind of the assistant and she's somehow, she's connected to somebody. Yeah, and she's chiseled. she tells
0: that story that like, you know, she had done a little waitressing, done a little hooking. And, 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 yes. and it's a great speech because you get the sense that she is this like, she's down in the keys and she's just one of those characters. She's
1: kind of drifted through life and kind of, you know, had a couple of um, bumps on the road and she's landed in a pretty sweet spot. And okay, maybe she's, Had to kind of morally compromise herself in order to be in that spot, but that's okay because there are worse things that can happen to you.
0: Yeah. And look at, you know, what does she do? She, you know, she had mentioned that she had done some hooking, right? Well, she ends up sleeping with Gene Hackman's character, but it's it's one of those night moves. She makes a move. She's making a move to keep him occupied. Mm -hmm. While her step boyfriend goes out and takes care of something that, you know, he thinks he thinks he's uncovered one thing, but he's not aware of the moves that are happening around him that prevents him from seeing the full truth that's right there. Right. Um, And that's, again, why I think this is so brilliant. And then you also have one of the earliest performances from this guy, James Woods. Jimmy Woods. And he's another another
1: neo-noir.
0: He's going to show up (laughs) in several neo-noir movies. And yeah. uh, so he's in the movie. Uh, you know, so that's what, another thing about these movies. You get to see, go see some actors and actresses that this is some of their early work when you see these films.
1: Yes. And, and.
0: Uh, well, I, wait I, wait, I, wait, um, wait, wait a minute. The rabbit was trying to talk, tell me something. No,
1: no, no. That's actually the chair. That's oh,
0: it is. The it's chair. the chair. Oh, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. I've already, I've already taken care of the bunny. So yeah, yeah, that's the <laughs> chair. He's like, help, help me. <laughs> help me. This is like turning into our own neo-noir. <laughs> James is trying to solve the, the crime that's going on with that's the right. poor rabbit right. over there in Muirland. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I want to just talk about one little thing. And this is another thing that I really like about it. And it's going to come up in a later movie that I think we'll be covering uh, this episode, if not the next episode, uh, is the ambiguity in the film when it comes to some of the murders. Because Some of them are posed by characters in the movie as accidents, and there isn't enough evidence either way to say that they were or they weren't.
1: Right. And I I, I absolutely agree with that. And I'd say that is part of the post-Vietnam post, let's be honest, Kennedy and uh, Martin Luther King. I mean, this is the time of the parallax view as well. And there is this sort of um, feeling of, of, um, is it an accident? You, well, nothing's an accident. It's all like, you know, it, everything is somehow, uh, you know, um, uh, conspiratorial.
0: Yeah. Now, of course, in the parallax view, which I, I don't know, is parallax view a neo-noir?
1: I think it has certain qualities. I mean, it. it look, we we um, are going to, there are going to be certain films that we've already said, is this a neo-noir or not? And there there is a kind of hybrid thing. Um, Parallax View is usually the political thriller, is what people call it, which obviously has elements of noir.
0: Out of the three, he calls it this paranoid series. Um, There's Clute, Parallax View, and then All the President's Men. Uh, All the presents Men, obviously, a masterpiece. Uh, I love it. I found the parallax view other than some amazing uh, visual sequences by the cinematographer Prince of Darkness there from uh, The Godfather.
1: Gordon Willis. Gordy Willis. Yeah, Gordy
0: Willis shot uh, those three movies by Alan J. uh, Pukula. And Clute is a movie that is definitely a neo-noir. And I love that movie. Yes,
1: no, it's really, really excellent.
0: And part of the reason why I love that movie is because of Gordon Willis's cinematography. <laughs> yeah, um, yes. but but anyways, so one that is something I found very fascinating with Night Moves because it is making you the viewer um decide on some of these murders and i don't want to give away because I, I think there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this and say you know i got to give that night moves a chance and i really want you to um and now that you know it's not an action movie um though uh, there's a couple of scenes of course <laughs> where uh, uh gene hackman does try to be an action guy uh with not too much success that uh, it, it is definitely a movie that is very layered and worth your time now the next movie isn't worth your time at all. <laughs> and uh, I, I've only seen it once, and I'm never going to see it again. Uh, but I think that it was it hit on that nostalgia that Chinatown uh, and its success a year before uh, captured. It was probably greenlit the day that Chinatown um, got praised and, <laughs> and was a box office success was uh, right. director Dick Richards, hired hand Dick Richards, uh Farewell, my lovely. I think Dick Richards did a ton, a ton of movies uh, or and television programs for TV. Like it was all TV for this guy, right? And that really shows in this very stodgy. Hey, let's let's jump on that nostalgia that Chinatown did. Obviously, people want those noir uh, '40s films, uh, but they want them, you know, today. But no, they didn't. They wanted something very deep and layered. Uh, Like Chinatown. And so Farewell, My Lovely is very clunky and it feels like it's on a studio backlot with Robert Mitchum looking very, very bored throughout the entire film.
1: Or very stoned, very very stoned. Right? It's yeah, right. And it was
0: funny when an old and he wasn't even that old. He was in his fifties, for God's sakes. The guy looked like he was eighty. Uh, yeah. um, and, well, you know, so, that's what really he did. And you know, I think that uh, these are these. This is a film that was made by people that felt they needed to correct the wrongs of Altman's The Long Goodbye.
1: I I absolutely agree, and it's it's a very fun. It's a very small C conservative movie. In that it is is trying to I, in in the last episode you made a very interesting discussion and I and I thought definition of what a neo noir is and this film has certain elements that you know that has nudity it has um, uh, language that you wouldn't have during yes. uh, the time of the code so in that sense it's definitely a neo noir but in terms of its aesthetics it is really. Um, a very deliberate throwback and um it, it's you're absolutely right about Chinatown it's the same director of photography i believe John Alonzo i think uh shot it as well and it has Dean Tavalouris doing the production design who did Apocalypse Now and the thing though is is the narration yeah is is what the kind of overwrought narration and i think um and and the kind of uh, emphasis upon um, just the the narrative kind of continuing to move forward and trying to tie everything together in a way that feels really sort of contrived. That I, I think that's what's kind of a throwback. And I think the narration in particular, it it's just it makes you very aware of what is so brilliant about the long goodbye and also Chinatown uh, as well as the fact that you have um, this sort of uh, slow, steady kind of unraveling of, of this, um, mystery. Uh, but we're not having someone telling us what to think. Mm. You, do you know what I mean? And, and the, the narration as a kind of, the way that it's used in, in noir, is it's very striking and kind of classical noir. And I've, i read a piece a while back where somebody was talking about, um, apocalypse now, as a noir because of oh, the narrative, because of the narration. And, you know, if you think about it, and also the obvious uh, thing with the narration as well, where it's problematic is Blade Runner.
0: Yes. Which, you know what? I didn't include anything that's a sci-fi noir. Yes, it's a neo-noir. Um, and once, I mean, a long time ago, Teal and I, we, we, we tackled neo-noir very broadly. And we're really focusing on our own category of neon noir. And to me, Blade Runner's combination of neon noir, which is really when there's like LA is a big focus. But also, it's really sci-fi noir um, in my book. Uh, So I don't really think we've really included much in the way of uh, sci-fi. At least um, Criterion didn't. Um, But it certainly...
1: Because it's its own, it's its own kind of you know cyber but it's a punk noir for sure world. It
0: is definitely right. a noir. Um, and and as I said in the rules, Billy, that we can bring up any films as examples, no matter what. So yes, right. But yeah, it, the thing is, is that as far as neo noir, it qualifies. Farewell, my lovely, only because it's new. It, it was a new noir in the seventies, <laughs> but it is very much more like very clunky, and yes. it, there's no reinventions going on. And then inexplicably inexplicably right the academy gave a nomination for best supporting actress for a ridiculously hammy performance from sylvia miles yeah Uh, that i don't know i mean that one it was baffling to me when she when her part came on and she had a couple roles and and it just shows you like that old school of uh the academy that was still kicking around they just love those really over-the-top schmaltzy performances where someone gets to play a drunk (laughs) right right <laughs> um, and,
1: and 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 just falling out of her like <laughs> her robe and everything i i have to say though um i thought charlotte rampling is gorgeous well, she's
0: a am- i mean but she's awesome in everything i really have always loved charlotte rampling yeah she she has, she has those noir like film eyes i mean she has she reminds yes. you a little bit of the young bacall um, mm-hmm. and so she was a perfect dame, right? As they say in the farewell, my yes. lovely, um, and, and when you're going to get to see some examples of not such great dames a few years from now, so we're going to save that. Cause I think we're going to end up actually talking a lot in, in a couple of movies from now,
1: but, uh, but, but do you know, can I just say one of my favorite like, sequences in terms of that's through, really bad? The bunny uh, you know, you have, <laughs> is the bunny being- no, the bu- no, 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 no. I is won't is. tell you where the bunny is. When he goes to the whorehouse and the madam drugs him and it like turns into like, <laughs> you know, some kind of drug sequence from Austin Powers.
0: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, the funny thing is, is that uh, take Robert Mitchum uh, in, in noir and drug scenes and they don't quite add up. Wait till, wait till we get to the big sleep- couple of movies i know you're itching to talk about it we're gonna get to it um so farewell my lovely look you'll watch this listener if for two reasons one you're a criterion channel series completionist and you need Mm -hmm. to see everything on the list or because you've watched things like chinatown and the long goodbye you'd like to also see what happens when you're in raymond chandler territory and it's not done well And maybe done too faithfully as if like, hey, the 40s can be the 70s, but with some swear words, (laughs) you know? No. Okay. So this next movie is a film. It was a new watch for me. I think I tried to get through like the first five minutes of it years ago and could not. And uh, it's a very interesting neo-noir choice because... I, for the most part, don't really think of this film as a noir, and for, like, I'd say a good chunk of the movie, it isn't. And then it becomes one for, like, the remainder of the movie, and I'd say that when it finally gets to a plot going, which, mind you, it takes, like, 53 minutes in the long version of this, uh, it finally does get interesting. And that is, you know, legendary uh, film actor, director John Cassavetes' film, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Yes, And this is a film for me that it was in there's an interesting history that it was released at the length of uh, running time length that Criterion is offering, um, which is like two hours and 13 minutes. And within a week of its bombing (laughs) um, and it just it failed miserably and critics hated it and everything. And Cassavetes was very upset. He pulled the movie. And then went back, cut it, and in 1978, did a re-release of it where it was about an hour and 40 minutes. And that's where it stayed for years and years. But then Criterion was able to restore the film or somebody restored it uh, several years ago. And now it's back to this length. And the first thing that struck me when I watched this movie, uh, not knowing that part of the history, was, man, this movie is so slow. Why are these scenes even in here? They feel like somebody just improving some stuff and that Cassavetes must have liked this scene. It doesn't belong. It doesn't further the plot. And when I got up to 53 minutes before we really started kicking in, I'm like, there's a good half hour out of this movie already. If we cut it out, things might move and it might be a better film. So maybe I would have liked the shorter version (laughs) better than this one. But I also heard the shorter version has different scenes than this film does because sometimes when you're editing you have to you know to make the content work you edit it differently so uh, again this was not a big uh, I'm, I'm glad I watched it but it was not one of my favorites but you may have a difference of opinion Billy
1: yeah well I, I saw the uh, shorter version you know it's very funny I originally saw so you've saw never
0: it. seen the long one you didn't rewatch it no no, I did I did oh, I did rewatch I did I did I
1: did confused <laughs> I did. but I saw it I saw it a long time ago and I saw it with Teal actually you,
0: oh well you you over at the apartment
1: over at your party, I you knew he
0: was watching it. it, but I didn't realize yeah, you were there. That's yeah, the part yeah, of yeah, my yeah, fuzzy. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah, yeah, it being it, on, yeah. and Teal would watch these movies for, like, for his cousin or something when his cousin was right. But uh, I, I didn't watch it.
1: Yeah, I remember watching it, and I remember getting a copy. I think from Kim's video. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, at Kim's well. video, and that's right. And so I, um, I had liked the earlier version. I hear what you're saying. Um, but it, it has a little bit. If if you're kind of along for the ride, and you know, <laughs> it has that sort of um, hangout movie quality. Oh, in the beginning. certainly there. Yeah, and it really is. Once the plot does kick into action with Tim Carey and Seymour Cassell, it gets uh, I I think really, really very good.
0: Well, you know, what's interesting about Seymour uh, Cassell is uh, I I've always found him was a little bit of an over the top actor guy, and in this mm-hmm. film, right. He it starts off like oh this is the Seymour Cassell I don't like he he looks like he's riffing and he's got that smile and it doesn't look like he's acting um, but in a mm-hmm. bad way but then right. right so as he's luring he's luring um, the main character there Jackie Treehorn wow, what's his name
1: <laughs> that's Ben-Gazza.
0: Ben Gazzara Ben Gazzara he plays Cosmo right the the, the club owner Cosmo over. yeah that's right hey, I'm Cosmo um, so <laughs> it, he uh, He's 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 trying to charm him as as the Seymour Cassell guy could be. But then later, mm-hmm. right, it gets a little bit more serious. Right. Uh, when uh, right. When Gazzara is owing this, what turns out to be mobsters. Right. And Seymour uh, Cassell's not such a nice guy anymore. He's still trying to no. be his buddy. But uh, that's when you realize says like, oh, he actually his performance is
1: really great in the movie. Okay, so what I really like about is when an actor's performance is able to turn itself around on you, and you sort of make a judgment at, about it at first, and you're like, "eh," I'm not, and then you go, "oh, it's like." But they're in real life, they're kind of putting on an act, or like in the, the real life of the film, you know, they're of course he's like trying to like you know be charming and like you know uh, hail well met fellow, you know, uh, in in trying to uh, to lure in Cosmo.
0: It, but again, I think that the, the problem for me with this long version, which is the only version I can judge, the only one I've seen is that it takes so long to get into the plot, even though I could see what was going to happen. I mean, it was clearly when he starts like, ah, we got this club little gambling and stuff and especially at the beginning right. though it's not well executed i didn't think that he's paying off gambling debts at the beginning of the movie um but right. again i think that if you had done a like a rewrite of this screenplay this movie to me could be done w- with the right filmmaker could be a really cool um reboot <laughs> like i'd like to, i wouldn't mind a remake
1: of this i i i agree and and regarding the length let me just say i did not watch it this time around in one sitting Okay. Yeah. No. It took me a few sittings for sure.
0: Um, but yeah. uh, the problem was the the club itself. All these little skits they do and everything. Like I'm like, what kind of club is this? Who would watch this show? Like I'm like, <laughs> this is terrible. And The songs that, that Mister Mysterious, or what is his name, uh, that sing, he's terrible. And I don't think anybody's going to show up to watch that. That's a problem right. to me. And that's probably why what slowed the thing down for me is that if you found if those scenes were even interesting with the girls and stuff but it's it's poorly written it's all improv but it's not done well it doesn't further the plot and it's just not interesting and then again also is this a strip club it seems more like a burlesque and they a don't burlesque, even they don't cabaret even yeah they don't even of, strip right. and I'm
1: like is this like
0: flash dance before flash dance
1: um kind of like, kind, like well I mean but I mean I also I think part of the the idea is supposed to be a throwback to I mean the character I of understand Cosmo is very clearly based upon um, Jack Ruby. Well,
0: okay, but here's the thing, is that this is like, you know, the 70s, and since Cassavetes is all about this gritty realism, but yet the club itself is so not real. Like, I would like to see that be gritty and realistic, too. And I know that that uh, Gazar is sort of a surrogate for himself, and that the whole thing with the Mafia is that Cassavetes kind of felt like this was him versus the Hollywood system.
1: The studio, right.
0: And people giving him money for and of course the problem is, is that he can't come to the reality that you make a movie like Killing Another Child, Chinese bookie and the majority of people would watch this movie will hate it. And be like, I can't give this guy a dime. Well, he's gonna waste it. There's a scene at the beginning where he goes and and it's like a tangent of five minutes, and this had to have been cut out in the short version, where he's just talking to some old guy at the bar, and the old guy's going yes. on, and it just felt rambling and bad. And, and I'm like,
1: No, I, I, I kind of I kind of like this. I know you I like you. Well, it. you know what? I You're treating
0: this as director's cut, gives you more. It's kind of fun to see. But I think that this is kind of a failure yet when you finally get to the mission where he has been charged and basically forced by the mob. To kill this rival of theirs, this Chinese bookie. Right. That entire sequence is. V- so well done so compelling so exciting um Mm -hmm. that it really is the it's the reason to watch this movie and this the actual scene at the chinese bookie like little place with this weird a-frame thing which must have existed somewhere it's just i don't know that sequence to me is amazing but it's also flawed because the mobs basically didn't think that he was going to make it out of there alive so what did they think was going to happen exactly that that's that's to me is a flaw. If you don't think that the person you're going to send to to kill somebody is going to make it out of there alive, what would you what, what did you think he was going to get killed when he tried to kill him? Like I don't know what the, uh, the exactly, plot is a little exactly. bit. Exactly the whole
1: idea of the suicide, like you know, if he had a stick of dynamite strapped to him and you blew it up, that's one thing. Versus you know, yeah, the idea, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like were
0: they just trying to send a threat message to this guy? I don't know, but I but I can tell you that it, the that whole sequence was great. So uh, again, for me, a mixed bag.
1: At the end, you come away with this idea that like, wow, that's really good in the end that it builds. And I, I think back then, remember, well, like if you heard like, hey, this is a good movie, you would go check it out and you can't get up, you can't pause it, you know, it's like you're sitting in you're like, okay, <laughs> I'm kind of waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And then you're like, oh, but it comes alive. And it really, you know, um, movies that are kind of sleep, that are like half asleep. And then all of a sudden when it snaps to, you're like, oh, that's really, that's very well done. Yeah, but then
0: it gets sloppy at the end again.
1: Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah whole, I mean, instead yeah, of a yeah, nice,
0: yeah. really tight, awesome finish. Again, this is a film that. Well, the Hollywood today would screw up anything, but like, it, this could be a really good movie. I think there's opportunities to to retell this story and and in a really cool way. Of course, it would be like with a thousand guns and like the Chinese bookie would have like a thousand dudes, of you know, and like John Young shows be able up and to get yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, they have remade the killing of a Chinese bookie. It, it, it's the John Wick series. <laughs> um, okay. So there's another film that, you know, again, you know, if again, completionist, you want to watch it if you're just interested or if you're like Cassavetes is God, well, then you can watch it. Okay. So the next movie is a new watch for me. I've heard about it for years but never saw it. it was uh Vim Vendor's uh, The American Friend, uh which yes. is a version of Patricia Heidsmith's uh Ripley series, uh Ripley's Game, and it's also like takes uh liberties with another one of her novels. Um, right. and of course it was at a time where I, I think that uh, the talented Mr. Ripley kind of cements us of of that whole Ripley experience and Matt right. Damon I actually think is one of his best roles. He's so creepy um, as, yes. as Tom Ripley. So it's weird to go back and watch a, an older version where the Ripley character isn't, the way it's written and stuff, it really isn't quite, he's not really the lead guy, I guess.
1: No, no. As a matter of fact, they bury him. Yeah. He's buried in a lot of the movie. Which and I think is fascinating it's really, too, by the way. It's really Zimmerman, the Bruno Ganz, and, yeah. and that's, it's, it's um, Vendors uh, does, you know, exactly what you know the promise of you know even though of the new wave is supposed to be the idea of trying to tell you know a kind of standard american genre story let's say mm-hmm. but in a totally different spirit yeah and you know yeah okay the formula says i should be focused on the dennis hopper character but nah, yeah. i'm not gonna focus on him
0: yeah and then it's also another uh, subversion of the genre is that well i mean the classic neo-noir genre you got this guy the regular guy right Mm-hmm. Um, he he does something that's completely like a regular profession. He he's a, a frame
1: maker, a framer. Yeah. And
0: but he's also got an ailment, right? He's dying of leukemia. Um. He's got a family, and he's not involved in criminality whatsoever. And then because he crosses Tom Ripley, <laughs> weirdly at, a, at an art auction, and Tom Ripley's involved with gangsters and he's involved in art fraud. But basically, because he makes a slight. To Tom Ripley's character at the beginning of the movie, Tom Ripley decides he's going to fuck with this guy's life, (laughs) basically, right? Yes. And then, so then the ordinary guy has to take on an unordinary task. And it's interesting. I think that Criterion, uh, not so accidentally, has done a lot of interesting movie pairings. And if you think about it the killing of a Chinese bookie would be a very interesting pairing with this absolutely. American friend. It was no absolutely. lie. You know? I, mean, I think they picked these things saying, hey, you're going to find some similarities
1: if you go in order with these movies. Right, because of the whole being forced into uh, murder. Yes. Um, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And But I, I just think that's what's so great, though, is that instead of, as you were talking about, Matt Damon, which which really is a kind of very true representation of Highsmith's uh, Ripley um Hopper's craziness is uh and the world kind of around him is is not like what you find in the book but it's it's a kind of very um interesting uh variation derivation expression of it and apparently Highsmith at first hated it
0: that's right and then she eventually grew to respect it.
1: Yes. Yeah. And and also like Hopper's performance, just, I mean, his, you know, because Hopper really was insane back then.
0: Well, he just, he got, he, he, he showed up on set of this literally just having gotten back from the jungle from shooting Apocalypse Now
1: yeah and and the all of the gangsters of course the interesting thing are all directors you know so yes. there's so there's sam fuller and there's nicholas ray and there's the thing that i i saw this originally i saw this years ago um and i saw it i rewatched it again there's a shot on the West side highway of Dennis Hopper, like walking on the ledge I know that it's is amazing. actually like, te- but it's terrifying just like watching him, just like knowing how like habitually stoned and like out of his mind, the guy was <laughs> that he's like walking along the edge, carrying stuff is, you know, was the traffic's going underneath him and you can see the market diner, um, this place, you know, on, on the West side of Manhattan behind him. Like, it's just, uh, you know, I, I it, it actually gave me like chills for a second because it was- Wait a minute. Wait a crazy. minute. I
0: think we're receiving a message from the bunny. <laughs> the bunny is saying, screw the American friend and killing the Chinese bookie. I feel like someone needs to send a hit out on Dubil. They're keeping me prisoner here. Help me
1: sorry that's right that's um, right we 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 shot uh we shot the rabbit up with dope just like mitchum in uh you know <laughs> farewell yeah. my lovely it's funny
0: because when i was watching i didn't re-watch farewell my lovely but when i was watching the big sleep which we're going to just talk about in the next movie i was like is this the one where he gets all like you know they dope him up and stuff and he has to get up then <laughs> the movie just went on and on and on but uh then i was like oh no 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 that's farewell my lovely uh another little thing on the american friend it was shot by Wim Wender's longtime cinematographer, the great Robbie Muller, and the cinematographer- The great Robbie Muller. one of my favorite the cinematographers.
1: And, and I I mean, we might talk about him later on. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah I don't know whether we'll get to this episode <laughs> or it'll be the next episode, but we will be talking about him um, for for one of these um, movies that I watched as a supplement.
1: And and the mo- i just got to say the whole sequence on the train is really, really well done. Yeah, and, and but it is silly. Everything about
0: it. It's silly yeah. and insane, but I love it, right? And yeah, I love the yeah. way Dennis Hopper just shows up. Like, it's a surprise, I think, to the audience. <laughs> and it's also a surprise to uh, Bruno Gans because he doesn't know, like, why would he think that uh, Hopper's involved in this? you know what I mean? So he's really, right. he, like, he has to, like, he- he's in the middle of all this insanity. And then suddenly, uh, Hopper shows up and mm-hmm. so he's now piecing together wait a minute this guy he, he he's he's just not here by accident uh so there's a lot of cool things so even though the movie i think uh starts off a little slow it does speed up and it's good and it's a definite absolute definite
1: uh neo noir film absolutely and it's um it, i have to say it has similar pacing issues i would almost even say with um with killing of a chinese bookie but it's really um it, it ultimately it it's it's i think a more successful film
0: i agree um so i'm glad i got to finally see that because i've heard about it in many different contexts uh, over the years and so it's kind of cool where something like criterion's neo-noir series kind of forces me to take on the challenge and see
1: it oh by the way can i just mention one thing so when my kids like saw me watching it and they saw dennis hopper yeah. they thought it was owen wilson at first
0: well, yeah yeah, Owen Wilson, are that hat. Yeah. Right. I don't think I've ever been in a neo noir Billy. Eh? And there
1: is that King song from Rushmore that's in it too. <laughs> yeah. These they are always... OR
0: scrubs, guy. <laughs> oh, are
1: they?
0: <laughs> and then like Bill Murray's choking. <laughs> it's the greatest. Okay, so now. Now it's funny, maybe the next two pairings here were for just being ridiculous and silly. As, as as I guess the late seventies were, because uh, mm-hmm. it's it's the next two movies on this list of Criterion's are The Big Sleep and Eyes of Laura Mars. Uh, let's talk about this Big Sleep, all right? Uh, director, okay. when you know you're in you know you're in more than capable hands when you're in the hands of director Michael Winner. Oh man, oh boy, Mr. Death Wish one and two, <laughs> yes and three. Uh, oh, he also directed three. three. So I mean, this guy, I believe he did. I mean, he is terrible, and this movie. Is just so freaking bad, right? So I watched this, and we and and, and for for, like devoted listeners of the show, you guys
1: watched it a long time ago. No, 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 no. don't say you guys. No, I had
0: to tell Tia (laughs) I was hoping he was going to watch this because I watched. I had been curious for years about the Big Sleep and Farewell My Lovely, so I took those on as a double feature. Uh. They were on Amazon Prime. Um, Not a big Mitchum guy, but uh, you know I watched them, and it was like about a year ago. And I felt how we, how I felt about, about uh, you know, Farewell, My Lovely. And then afterwards, The Big Sleep, I mean, I wasn't prepared for what a bag of crap it was. And I don't know why I felt like I would I, – I wasn't going to rewatch this thing. But then had a little time, and I've added this to my roster uh, as <laughs> <it's> a rewatch. <laughs> and I – oh, Bill. Bill, Bill, Bill. I mean, I mean we, we could – this whole – this whole series could get derailed with like a two-hour discussion of The Big Sleep. Uh, if you're into comedy, right? If you, I don't know why this would even be considered neo-noir. I mean, it's like the same same excuses for Farewell, My Lovely. It, it
1: was like, oh, let's just try to capitalize on nostalgia or something. Right. And, you know, it's, it's Mitchum. And actually, in all honesty, Farewell, My Lovely was a big hit. It did very well. So
0: here's a question. There must have been like some kind of uh funds that were given. Why does this movie take place in England?
1: Okay, because um
0: it's not an actual sequel. So people know he's playing Marlowe, so in a sense it's a sequel, but his but it's is other it's as if the other movie
1: didn't exist. Right. At it's and it's in the seventies in England, not Los Angeles.
0: Yeah, and fair, and I guess Marlowe just stayed there from World War Two and never left, according to the
1: That's according to the film. Right. And um it has, in all honesty, a, a great cast. Mostly, everyone's horrible in it, oh, man. and uh, everybody's
0: um, picking but, up a paycheck in this movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, basically, look, I, I, my understanding is, and this is just you know conjecture on my part, is that a lot of times studios had you know certain tax incentives, and they had money tied up overseas, and Lou Grade, who made a lot of stuff. Um, I think he just had, you know, money that he had tied up that he had to use and they were like, hey, let's just uh, make this movie, Um, you know, because Farewell, My Lovely had been such a big uh, success and, you know, Winner did the script, he produced it and he directed it. So it's a real labor of uh, love, I guess, for Michael Winner
0: even though there are some funny lines in the movie. They were in the original,
1: like in the, in the, the story. No, that's there was
0: am So they're in the script, right? So these funny lines, but they're delivered. <laughs> Mitchum definitely, uh, from what I hear, was drunk and stoned the entire time. Right. And so he was, he was a massive alcoholic by this point. And he just like, I I don't know. I've never seen Mitchum in a comedy before. Have you? Like like he was doing comedy, I think, in this movie. This is, I guess, what you would imagine if...
1: if Mitchum does comedy. I'm a I'm a huge Mitchum fan. I really, I mean, you know that I'm a very big Mitchum fan.
0: Michael Winner just was like, I don't, I can't write funny dialog, so I'll just take it all from the book, right? Because <laughs> he's the lone scriptwriter on this, but yet, right? Um, yet there, there's exact dialogue from the other version from the awesome. earlier yeah.
1: version, the Lee bracket. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I know. don't know. Um, I think that, uh, you know, again, yeah, no, it was in, it was in the, it was in the Chandler. Book, yeah. Because
0: yeah. one of my favorite lines, though, it's just not delivered for oomph comedy, uh, by Mitchum is when he says that, uh, yeah, she, she was so excited to sit on my lap.
1: that, that she, she sat down on my lap. I was standing up. <laughs> that's it. She sat down on my lap. And I was
0: standing up. Like, that's, that's like you can hear when Bogart would have said it. It would have been hilariously awesome because he was so kick-ass. But, like, everything that Mitchum does, and here's an interesting thing, right? And I think it's more interesting if you think of it this way. There's a whole right. big deal of, like, I guess his character being so upstanding and honest. And the fact that uh, Marlowe never seems to really get the girl, though girls seem to be throwing themselves at him. And right. it's because of his integrity, but I guess yes. that Mitchum was very concerned during the filming that people would think that his character was gay. <laughs> but I actually watched <laughs> the movie thinking that Marlowe is gay, and that's more fun, and that's re- like <laughs> that's Mitchum's hilarious sort of thing. And then there, come on, right? Then you get you get um, you get Oliver Reed playing Eddie Mars, who plays no. it as if he is gay. I love Oliver Reed's the best part of
1: the movie for me. The movie is preposterous. It's just preposterous. The whole setting, the whole, the whole everything.
0: All these people get killed into the movie, but then you tell, can you give me one explanation for why? Like, what's? The, I don't understand. By the end of this movie, you can watch it five times. You just Black don't male. understand.
1: But that's, but that was, that's, but that's the, that's the knock against the original Big Sleep. I know, as well. but it's
0: so preposterous <laughs> and in the end. Like, like it makes no sense. Sure, there's a logic that is given to us, but it still makes no sense. Like, why is Eddie Mars' wife hiding out? I don't know. It makes no sense. It's basically the Chewbacca defense. Why is Chewbacca on Endor? I don't know. It does not make sense.
1: This movie but, does not make sense. Can, can we just, okay, It's so a script- <laughs> uh, okay. Cinematography, all the kind of like super bright lighting like it's like an episode of Dynasty. So we you know. Think, I really- got to stop there. We're going to
0: talk about the cinematography for a second now that you brought it up. Listen, listen. Okay. Last year I watched it on Prime and it was another one of these crappy Prime prints, right? So it was the crappy TV lighting but grainy and it looked like mm-hmm. it was from a TV like 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 UHF channel had a, a copy from 20, 30 years ago and they, and they donated it to Amazon Prime except for they had a right. widescreen copy for some reason. This copy copy was gorgeous right i mean yes. as far as like it's like beautifully uh you know remastered but mm-hmm. like you said it looks like it was shot uh for television back in the late 70s and it even feels it feels like a tv Columbo movie um, yes but with like maybe some naughty content <laughs> but can we
1: talk about so it's definitely, oh? What about the score? What about the score, Jerry Fielding? <laughs> listen,
0: listen to me. Wait, first of all, I want to just like dum 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 dum. I'm going to tell you right now that's going to end up being the music that's going to start this episode. So get ready for that. Um, <laughs> it's like I thought I was in Dirty Harry Fly. and Jerry
1: Fielding's and Jerry Fielding's a great. He did the music for um, the Wild Bunch. And, uh, dun, you know, dun, but dun, it's just dun, so dun, 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 dun,
0: terrible. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And so it shows like a point of view shot of a car driving down this, uh, you know, England uh English uh, shot down the motorway. Then, yeah, right, right. And right. then here's the thing. You know you're in bad hands when the opening master shot of the movie has a big lens, uh, like a, a, a camera hair. It, and you can see it. And then basically with camera hair, if it's white, it means that whatever the transfer, the lens had a hair in the gate. When it's black, that means it's on the negative. And there's this big black moving hair on the right side of the uh, the frame through this entire opening sequence. And I'm like, "Did you kidding me? Who didn't get fired from that?" <laughs> I'm like, "That's how the movie starts with a big hair in the gate."
1: <laughs> but can I tell you the only thing that I think is actually really like great about the film is the wardrobe. The costumes, and I got to say, whoever it was, because remember how like, we, you made a very big deal about how Elliot Gould, like, you know, how his Marlo is wearing a crappy suit, and yeah. in Farewell, My Lovely, he's wearing a crappy suit. In this one, Mitchum looks like a million bucks, okay? Like, his suit is perfectly tailored, and everyone, you know, I think that was almost kind of the deal, is that everyone got to keep their clothes, and they have these beautiful, bespoke suits. Right out of the 70s. Right. And it, that's the thing, like with Oliver Reed's like suit, I Eddie mean, Marse. he is just, he's just well no, back, I'm perfectly Marse. tailored, you know? And I honestly think that's like what Michael Winner was more interested in was like, you know, somehow like, I you like know, pay for my friendship, <laughs> you do me a favor. <laughs> You should get paid for
0: it. Um, so yeah, that's another thing, right? I was talking about this in the last episode about how these detectives never seem to get paid. So he's going to get paid five hundred pounds for this job, right? And that's they're going right. to give him money at the beginning. But no, 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 I'll get the I'll get the money later. He says, and then he gets the money.
1: I'll take it later, Jimmy Stewart.
0: Yeah. And then he gets the money and then he gives 200 of it away for information from one of the uh, the, the cavalcade of bad performances. You have uh, Dynasty there, Joan Collins.
1: Joan Collins. She looks like she's wearing <laughs> the
0: worst wig. <laughs> and her character just like disappears, right? her, her It's like, right. oh, her plot line is over at some point. And then, of course, okay, and this ties in with the costumes, the music, the cinematography, everything. You have these two performances and it's basically who can outdo each other for the most insane performance and that's uh the two daughters of jimmy stewart one is played by candy clark and Mm -hmm. then the other is played by sarah miles (laughs) and you tell me what kind of accent is sarah miles putting on in this movie
1: (laughs) Um, i don't even know what it is it's an attempted kind of an american accent like a sophisticated she's american like she accent. saw
0: vivian lee and gone with the wind and said i'll try that
1: <laughs> a little <laughs> it's right a little there's a little southern thing that's going on there i don't know and it's, it's she, not her, it's supposed not, to
0: be from america right because they're all living over there for some strange
1: reason right and it's not her uh her accent from uh the man who loved cat dancing and,
0: and, and certainly like what's her face uh Candy Clark. She's from Texas originally. And so whatever right. accent she's using, it doesn't match up with the Sylvia Miles, who I don't think they ever share a scene together. No. But I, I you know what I, I felt, I didn't have a notebook with me, when I was watching this <laughs> and I really wish I did because I, all of these insane moments, but like they've made this decision to direct Candy Clark's performance as if she is like totally insane. Right.
1: Yeah, do you know what would have been a better performance, like actually better casting in that role would have been genius. Who Mink stole? It it was like (laughs) Taffy Davenport would have been better, but like she's in that
0: bed and she starts like, like she wants to sleep with um Robert Mitchum who doesn't want to sleep with her because you know because he's gay and they just you know Mitchum's not going to go there, but that would have been a way more interesting choice. No, but then she starts pretending she's a cat and she's like. It's like her eyes she's like makes these crazy eyes throughout the whole movie and it's just like it's weird and that scene where like she's like naked on the chair from the photo shoot and she's been shot up with some drug and that's right I mean it is bizarre
1: yeah yeah it's um I mean I gotta tell you look she (laughs) obviously went with it um I uh, I met her once. It was very weird. I I, okay. I met her, and it was a very awkward sort of uh, encounter. Because, was she naked um, in your
0: bed? And she did <laughs> right. No
1: no, 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 no. She was. It was at a, it was at a cast and crew screening of uh, American Beauty, and um, of um, the movie with Kevin Spacey. Yeah, yes, yeah, Kevin Spacey, Sam Mendes. It was a screening, okay. and. Um, Uh, And, you know, we so... Was your rabbit there? She was there. No, my rabbit was not. She was there. And uh, so she was introduced um you know as by her friend as, is she in you know, the movie great no she's not oh
0: she was great just there candy. we're just like you were just, just there just the so right? exactly
1: exactly like the great candy candy clark and you know she's obviously she's um i knew her from uh, every from the man who fell to earth from uh well, american graffiti from, is like you know she, she forever gets a hall of fame for me for being right an american right graffiti. for that and also like and um uh and also uh fat city you know, just tons of tons of amazing stuff, and it was one of these weird things. Blue like, Thunder, Blue Thunder, absolutely. <laughs> and, hey, um, I like.
0: The, I'm a Blue Thunder guy.
1: I'm a big Blue. I'm a big fan as well. It's uh, it's actually aged, I think, pretty well. But so her friend had, you know, said like the great Candy Clark, you know. And do you know when I'm sure you've met, you know, when you meet somebody who's who's famous and you try to be very chill and casual about it. Well, I don't go around meeting famous people all the time, but uh, yeah, I, mean,
0: well, I, I I I when when I've met famous people, I've tried to be chill and casual about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of, you know, it's and and it's just trying to be and it was just like it was You're like it was talk. awkward. <laughs> Well, were like, you from the big sleep? Well, that then, then we exactly. Well, we just you know, and it was the fact that like you know, um, I I felt like it was it just became very awkward because you know we were trying to be I, I was with a friend and we were both trying to be very like oh very nice to meet you you know and it it just like the conversation kind of just like went flat from there because you mm. know, it's like we had been handed the ball and you know that was it. it but she, like a real she was charmer, cool. Billy. She was pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Oh boy, exactly. I just wanted to sit down and watch the movie. All right. But wait
0: a minute. But now listen, we're gonna we're running short of time. For this episode, boy, we have just barely even not even gotten out of the 70s yet. But I, I just feel, I feel like we cannot end this episode without you getting into Sarah Miles. Not literally, <laughs> but you just, I know you're itching to talk about the person who, yes, this is true. That this person is known for a lot of weird things, including for 20 years drinking her own urine because she thought it was some kind of uh, nutrition thing. I don't know, and that's a true you story
1: well you know she had um from the time I used to spend in Ireland that you know Ryan's daughter was obviously a, a huge production that that was made there and so uh whenever a new film would come out usually there'd be some kind of Irish angle to you know um going and doing an interview with her and inevitably what would come up in like all these interviews in like the the English and Irish press would always be so you're like drinking urine like <laughs> you talk fact and she had you know didn't didn't bat an eye she'd talk Talk about like you know how uh, it's great for your skin and does all sorts of wonderful things. And um, I just think her look in the movie is so interesting because she really does look like a teen Fran Lebowitz kind of <laughs> with that hair. <laughs>
0: The hair. Was that a real hair? Or was that a wig?
1: I don't know. It that's, was, her hair. It's so that's her weird. hair. That's her hair. That's The outfits
0: that they make her wear is so I know, bizarre. I know. I know. And, and
1: that's, it's, it actually is like, you know, like she's wearing jeans and like it's almost meant to be like a little hippie-ish. Like she's the hippie, yeah. like she ran away to a, a commune or something. It's but, such um, weird casting. Yeah, and um, you know, she and Mitchum, you know, obviously had time together, and Ryan's daughter, and she always talks about the fact that like she had never done drugs until she met Mitchum, and you know, she started.
0: Well, he grew like you know, he like they were there for so long that he ended up growing a whole pot farm there.
1: Right, and I, I, it's very funny that I um I met this Irish director one time who um told me that he got to. Uh, like he won a student film prize and the prize was he got to go to dinner with them um, or like got to go to a party with David Lean. And when Lean was an old man and he like, you know, said to him, you know, oh, I'm from from Ireland, I'm from, you know, down near, you know, where I understand you spend some time there. And uh, Lean said, yes, Ryan's daughter, Mitchum ruined it in his fucking drugs. Yeah, that was (laughs) there's a whole. I mean, we could
0: that's look that's not even a neo noir, so we won't go there. But uh, you know, so there's there's a lot that we could unpack. But let's just say her performance is very bizarre. In and just this whole movie is is so weird. But I had a great time watching it a second time just because it was so hilariously bad.
1: Yeah, no, it's it, it it's it's hilarious. It's it actually is something that. I'd want to watch with like a couple of people.
0: Yeah, no, it, this is very <laughs> mystery science theater worthy. In my opinion, it's, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> and it would definitely, it's a, it would be a fun watch party. Okay. So we are not doing a great job on the Neo noir series as far as getting through all the films, but I'm having a blast. And uh, this is uh, episode two and hopefully you're enjoying these episodes and stay tuned for episode three. That will be coming up soon. Uh, but for now, this is uh, James along with bill and uh stuff we seen which is you can find at stuff seen.com all the episodes are up there uh feedback at stuff we've seen.com, uh, is where you can send your messages of concern about the bunny and <laughs> then uh, we have instagram and uh, uh all sorts of stuff and we even have a youtube channel a few episodes on video but uh we're not doing these on video these will all be audio all right so uh we'll see you soon billy
1: see you soon jimmy y- you Take think you can care. come back I might be able to Oh yeah. We'll see. We'll see. You know, I've gotta I gotta clean the rabbit cage. So okay. Bye
0: we'll bye, everybody.
1: Bye.